Good morning. How we doing? How are my parking lot people? All right. Stout sounds good. The enthusiastic ones. I see a few smiling faces inside too. It's good to see you all. So we took a little bit of a break last week and we looked at this life of Mary Magdalene. And this week we're jumping back into 1 Peter. And uh, we're getting into verse 13 through 17 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter this morning, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there. It's good to see you all. We've got Charlie over here with Amanda and people in the parking lot. I see Luis out back. He doesn't know I can see him outside of the auditorium. And there's Ben. Ben's waving at me too. One way or another, we're together, and the Lord is going to open doors for more opportunities for us coming up. So two weeks ago, we looked at Peter's reminder of the humility of our identity. We are invited to be aliens and strangers, and we are people who know where the real, real war is against us. It's the war over our own souls. And so we'll begin with these words from chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So now in our culture, we're just beginning to feel the sting a little bit more of being the outsider, of being the foreigner, of not feeling quite in step with everything going on around us. And, uh, it, and it's the symptom of being in a post-Christian culture. More and more, we are the strangers. Before, in the past, there could have been even certain social credits of being identified as a disciple of Jesus or a Christian. Now there are beginning to be social costs. And if we embrace the humility of our place as aliens and strangers... And if more and more we realize that the battle that we're fighting, it's not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, to use Paul's language, then we are free to love people. When, it, when this world is all we got, we have to fight like this is all we got. Then there's not enough to go around. Then we got to fight, and then we got to fear, and then we got to be angry. But when we know who the true enemies are, it makes us capable of loving people who previously had been impossible or would be impossible in our own strength and might to love. Uh, and maybe nowhere is this more true than with loving our politicians. So we're talking about political things a little bit today. Um, I'm not a political guy, and so I kind of come at it from another angle a lot of times. But uh, the scriptures are political in their own kind of way. And they give some direction to us in the way that we are to carry ourselves, the way we are to conduct ourselves. So I think probably, you know, eventually, if it's not today, it's going to be in upcoming weeks, I will say things that will offend just about anyone. 
And that's not necessarily my goal. Um, but we live in an environment where everyone is yelling like we're a victim. Everyone's yelling, so-and-so did this to me, so-and-so said this to me, so-and-so is stepping on these rights for me. Pay attention to this thing. This is important. This is what you need to be angry about. This is all of this noise constantly around us. And everyone is acting like the battle is outside of us. And we miss the real battle sometimes. Well, nothing is more polarizing in our culture than our politics. So today in our text, Peter talks about our Christian witness. The Christian witness we have by respecting our secular authorities, by respecting and honoring our elected officials. Let me back up a little bit to verse 12. And this is kind of the frame of things that Peter puts for us that we understand what he says next. Live such good lives among the pagans. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In Peter's thinking, one of the ways that we live good lives among pagans is that we honor our elected officials. Verse 13 and 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So first of all, we need to notice the motivation for submitting ourselves to secular authorities. It's not because they stand on all the same issues that I do. It's not because they're great people of high moral character. Many are not. What Peter says, the motivation needs to be is for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. The obedience that Christians have to the government is not so much an endorsement of the rulers of this age, but rather it's an act of devotion to God. And this isn't just Peter's thinking and Peter's words with this. Look at these words from Paul. In, that he writes to Titus in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. Always to be gentle towards everyone. Let's, let's look at a few of these words. Peaceable. Considerate. Gentle. Think about your pol political dialogue. 
conversations you have with others. Social media posts, the ones that you like, the one that, ones that you pass on. The media, we're constantly consuming, we're constantly being told what we need to be afraid of, what we need to be thinking about. So if someone were to be an objective observer of your life, would they look at the things that you support and the things you say and the things that you post and they would think, oh, this guy is peaceable. This is a considerate person. This is a gentle person. So some people could mishear me, what I'm saying right now. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have political opinions. And I'm definitely not saying that you shouldn't try to be informed on issues, issues that are important. And Peter's not saying that, Paul's not saying that. But what I am saying is as disciples of Jesus Christ, if you wear the name Christian, you have to be wise in the way you approach these things. You've got to be wise. You have to be wise about all the things that you're listening to, all the voices that you're letting in. You have to be wise about this. All these voices screaming. All these voices telling us, you need to be angry about this. Your enemy are these people. Let me tell you who your enemy is. Or let me tell you what you're supposed to be thinking. Don't you know that the world will be a better place if we just get rid of Dr. Seuss books? There is an enemy out there. There is an enemy. The scriptures are very clear about that. The question I need to ask is, who am I letting define the enemy? Am I letting NPR or PBS or Fox News or whatever, whoever, tell me who the enemy is? Or do I let the Word of God tell me who the enemy is? If you're spending more time watching Hannity or Tucker than you are reading your Bible or praying or going to church or in any other way, any other way, serving the Lord, there's a problem with this. Look at the fruit this is producing in your heart and your life. Are you angry? Are you frustrated? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? Are you inclined to hate certain people? Christian, be wise. Not with worldly wisdom, but the wisdom of the Lord. You see, we can disagree with others. And we can and should have political opinions as Christians. This is, this is important. 
we can and should have political opinions. And it's also important, it's crucial, that our politics are informed by our faith. But our faith also demands that we carry ourselves in such a way that we are peaceable, considerate, and gentle. Look at the way Paul says it in Romans. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. The idea that Kate Brown has been established by God, it sounds like a crazy idea to some people. But this is just how radical Paul's language is. Now, we don't know what God is doing with all of these things all the time. But as a Christian, we affirm, we know God has a plan. And in the end, it is God's will that will be accomplished and will overcome all other things. He goes on to say this, Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. So how are we supposed to understand this? How we, these are hard words a little bit. First off, we need to recognize that there are enemies behind our enemies. Where is the real war? Where is the real battle? And because we know where the real battle is, that frees me to be able to show respect and honor to everyone. But more than this, we believe that God has a plan. There is a God in heaven. God is not ignorant of what's going on in the world today. Not only is there a God, He has power. Not only does He have power, but God is just. He is the only one who is capable of bringing justice to the fiascos we create in this world. What I'm not saying, again, is that we should just be putting our heads in the sand and acting like political issues, they don't matter. We need to be thoughtful. We need to speak and stand out against issues that impede the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that's important. And it's going to become more important in years ahead, I'm afraid. But we also need to hold an idea 
a confidence in God that is so strong that we realize that there are bigger things going on. Some people, they act like politics are the only issue that matters. And when the politics don't go our way, we're crushed. That happens to Christians even. So whatever our opinions are, wherever you stand on issues, regardless, regardless of who thinks differently about you, regardless of what they're saying, regardless of how they're slandering your name. It is the call upon me to remain ready to identify and do whatever is good. Be ready to do good. I may disagree with people, but I refuse to slander anyone. Are you peaceable, brother? Brother, are you considerate? Sister, are you gentle toward everyone? This is what the Scriptures command of us. Verse 7 of chapter 13 of Romans, Give everyone what you owe him. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. We don't have to begrudge any of these things. We just do what we need to do. Peter goes on to show us more of our motivation for honoring our secular authorities and institutions. He says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Put everything in its right place. And give everyone what is due to them, is what Peter is saying. So our lives are supposed to be so upright so upright that we actually silence ignorant and foolish talk. And this is hard to do because people are constantly slandering anyone who differs in any way with them. We call it cancel culture. You just get rid of that. You just talk over. Everyone's yelling, no one's listening. And in this environment, what this means is this. If I am pro-life, and I am, then I hate women, and I hate women's rights. If I am pro-biblical marriage, then that means this guy hates gay people. And this is the way we talk, and this is the way we talk constantly. All Democrats are baby killers. All Republicans are warmongers. 
and they're racist and they're heartless scrooges. Don't you know that? And what Peter is saying is that our lives should be characterized by so much good that when the inevitable slander comes our way, it's obvious to anyone looking on the shoe does not fit. Doesn't fit. We can say these things about those fundamentalist evangelical Christians doing, you know, all these code words that get people upset. But when they see our good deeds, when we're characterized by gentleness and respect, when people can see love within our community, that slander against us, it just doesn't stick. It's not fitting because it's not true. That way, when we suffer, we don't suffer because we are lawbreakers. We're not suffering because we're acting as hateful and as ugly as everyone else. It's clear that when people say things against us and we stand on things and we're going to suffer for things, but let those be the things that clearly show that our allegiance is to Jesus Christ and to Him alone. That He is our number one and most important thing. And an allegiance like this, it's going to put us in sharp contrast to everything else going on in our environment. All the hate, all the slander, all the yelling and no one listening. If we truly live as Christ lived, it calls things into judgment. But it does so in a way that leaves people scratching their heads because they don't know how to reconcile these things. I've heard all these things about Christians, what you guys are like but they don't know what to do with our love and our good deeds. When we live like that, you know who it honors. It honors God. And it creates the possibility. This is the beautiful thing about our faith in Jesus. When God gets so big and so beautiful, the person who I used to hate and call my enemy, in the love of Jesus Christ, I can discover that person is my brother. And we find ourselves in Jesus. That's the call of the Scriptures. That's the desire of the Holy Spirit working inside of us. He's trying to build something. But, is it, but if, as Christians, we are just as ugly, just as anxious, just as fearful, just as hateful as everyone else, it's going to destroy our witness to the goodness and the power of our God. Let me also say, just as a caveat to these things as well, 
Peter and Paul are not openly addressing the question of an unjust government. They're not openly addressing that question. Rather, they are emphasizing that the ideal purpose of government, it is to keep order in our society. It is to make laws that lend it themselves to creating order in our society. But Peter, when he writes this, it's not like he's unaware of persecution against Christians for their faith in Jesus Christ. And he can see the writing on the wall and the growing risk of persecution against Christians, even government-sponsored persecution. But when we give everyone their proper respect, when we don't begrudge respecting It honors God, and it makes the justice of the positions that we stand on, the causes that we take up, when we do that in a manner that's considerate, that's gentle, no, we're not going to be bullied. We're not going to be... True humility is not just cowering like a dog. But when I can show honor and respect, and I can think, and I can listen... It's going to make our causes stand all the more brighter. They're going to become brighter to those around us. So Peter's not unaware of the persecution that's coming, and they're already facing. That's why I call this series In the Shadow of a Hostile World. He uses all this rich word art language, all of these beautiful images that he's bringing us. And that's to help us have an identity that we are able to stand against what's coming. So let me talk about a few of these words. Passages that indicate the rising persecution against Peter's audience. You can snap a picture of these if you want and look at them later. 1 Peter 1.6 In a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 2.11-17 Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see our good deeds, our good works. 1 Peter 3, 7, 13 through 17. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are now suffering. Peter writes his letter and gives this command about respecting our authorities in the shadow of a hostile world where those very authorities are starting to pay attention to the church and turn against the church. So just a few years after Peter writes his letters, there's a fascinating letter written by a Roman governor to the emperor of that time, an emperor named Trajan. So this governor's name was Pliny, Pliny the Younger. There's a Pliny the Elder, and he had a son, Pliny the Younger. And he was governor over Pontius and Bithynia around 111 through 113 A.D., historically verified. So Pontius and Bithynia are two of the five regions that Peter mentions in his letter. 
He mentions five places. So this, this guy is governor over two of the five places that this letter, 1 Peter, is circulated. So when Governor Pliny the Younger begins persecuting Christians in Pontius and Bithynia, keep in mind that some of the older Christians who were there and being persecuted, they would have been there the first time that 1 Peter was read in their congregation. Some of them would have been present the first time Peter's letters were read, were read in the presence of that assembly. Some of the oldest Christians in those churches, they probably knew Peter personally. And now they're being persecuted by the Roman government a few years later on. So let's look at a couple things with this, with this letter. It's fascinating to me. I'm sorry, my, nerd, my history nerd is coming out a little bit here. As accusations spread, this is Pliny's words to Trajan, as accusations spread, as usually happens beginning or because of the proceedings going on, an anonymous document was published containing the names of many persons, the names of supposed Christians. So get this. They're beginning to ramp up the persecution. Someone who knows who the Christians are betrays the church or betrays the churches, and they give a printed-out list of names to the government. I guess Judas's didn't die off. And uh, so the government has the member directory they began to go through these list of names and track these people down. Those who denied that they were or had been Christians, when they invoked the gods in words dictated by me, offered prayer with incense and wine to your image, which I had offered to be brought for this purpose together with statues of the gods, and moreover cursed Christ, none of which of those who are really Christians, it is said, can be forced to do. These, I thought, should be just discharged. So get what's going on. They, call, they got the list. Someone's an informer has betrayed the church, given them a list of names, and the governor is calling them in and bringing them in. And those ones who are willing to burn incense and say prayers to Caesar. Well, maybe they're okay, but they've, they've figured out that some Christians, they can do this, and they don't have a problem doing this, and they just go right through this. But then they add this other thing. No. Curse Jesus Christ. Curse his name. And I, I don't stand in judgment against any of these Christians because I can't imagine the trials that they are going through. It makes my life look like a fairy tale. But it was a big problem in the early church because later on they're trying to figure out what do we do with all of these Christians who have cursed the name of Christ and they have not publicly acknowledged Jesus. 
you know, there's a problem for the church. What do we do with these people who have done this? And now they're coming back and wanting, now that the persecution has died down. And the church welcomes them back. Although it was a process sometimes because there were so many hurt feelings from all of this. But the bigger problem for the Romans was there were actually people who were so in love with Jesus Christ that they refused to burn incense to Caesar and they refused to curse the name of Christ. And so they had to kill him. And they had to kill more. And more and more. How do we, when that's not sustainable, how do we keep, but this is early on. This is early on. So this, is, this letter goes on. Others named by the informer declared that they were Christians, but then denied it, asserting that they had been, but now they ceased to be. Some of them three years before, uh, others many years, some as much as 25 years. 25 years prior to this, First Peter was a fairly new letter in circulation back then. They all worshipped your image and the statues of the gods and cursed Christ. The sum and substance of their faults or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively, sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God. So now he's getting into what, what are these Christians actually doing? What are they doing that is such a problem? This is an interesting window into Christian practice. In a persecuted church, they're meeting early before the sun comes up to sing this response. And, singing back and forth responsively a hymn about the beauty of Christ as to a God, because he is. And then they were doing this other thing, it says, and to bind themselves by oath, not to some crime. They're not trying to do nefarious things, not to some crime, but to not, to not commit fraud. They're making oaths. We are not going to steal things. No theft. Crimes about we are not going to participate in adultery. Not to some crime, but not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery. Not to falsify their trust. Nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. What are these? We know these superstitious, dirty Christians are up to no good. But what are they finding out? They're singing hymns to Christ as a God, responsively. They're making oaths to abstain from sin and to participate in good things, to keep their word, to be honest. So they're this governor is trying to figure out what is, and he's thinking there has got to be more to it than this. So now he heats up things. 
and he turns to torturing some of these Christians. I judged it all the more necessary to find out the truth by the truth, what the truth was, by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. But I discovered nothing else but depraved, excessive superstition. So he goes and he finds, okay, well, who are, who are two serious? These, these women are deacons. They're deaconesses. And they had deaconesses in the early church. Hope that's not a shocker for you. Uh, and gets, and they're torturing him to find out, well, it's got to be more than these good things. What is it? I, I couldn't find out anything else except they're just superstitious. They think this Christ was raised from the dead. They think these things. But they're not doing evil things. It's almost as if these communities are living such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing evil, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's almost as if these Christians are living this in their life. And so, these accusations, how do we pin this on them? How is this going to stick? <laughs> Show proper respect to everyone. If people are going to see us and want to look under the hood, what is it like here at the Eugene Church of Christ, really? I hope that they see three things. I hope that they see excessive love for the brotherhood here in this place. That we love each other deeply and from the heart. That's the call within this community. That what's, that's what makes us special. That what, that's what gives us a voice of witness. That they'll know we are Christians by our love. That we love the brotherhood of believers fear God, that we are known. We don't take God lightly. We don't use his name as a curse word because God is something else. Holy other. And everything about my life is geared toward reverential respect of my Lord and my God. Fear God. And then I want to be known as a people who can give honor to who deserves honor for the sake of Christ, not because of their perfection, not because they're dirty, this, that, or the other. That we can be considerate in a world where consideration has just gone out the window. We can be gentle. No one else is being gentle. That in a world where everyone slanders everyone else, that we just refuse to participate in speaking evil and willing evil on anyone. The Holy Spirit can help us do that. So, maybe a, not a fun sermon for all of us. I, uh, I don't really like talking about this stuff. So 
stuff myself, but it's in our Bible, it's in our scriptures, and we need to be thoughtful about it. And so our invitation is to think about how we are able to do good, to silence the talk of ignorant people. They can see our goodness, and it's clear that this is what our life's about. That's our invitation. Our invitation is also to put on Christ in baptism, to share any kind of the needs that you have. Um, You'll have an opportunity to do that when we stand up and sing in just a minute. But uh, we gave you a survey this morning. So I don't care who fills this out. If you're 10 years old and you want to take the time to fill this out and share your ideas, what do you think we should be doing here at the Eugene Church of Christ? Two weeks ago, I kind of shared an idea. What is our what's next going to look like? And so I talked about well, what if we had more of an opportunity for fellowship? Um, if we could build that direction, a social split, uh, space. So it talked about um, what would it look like to have a parsonage so that we're able to be more accessible here on the property, a fireside room so that we can have a social kind of kick up your feet, uh, have a TV, we're playing board games, a more relaxed kind of setting space. So I put that out there, and this week in the survey, what we're really inviting you to do is to ask questions. Well, what are your ideas, church? So mine was just to get maybe some juices flowing. You can say what you think about that or not. We have a facility here that was built in the late 1979 or whatever. Maybe there are things that we could do or changes that we can make to help it fit our current programs and needs. Maybe it's something else. And so we, I uh, included a list of historical things that we've been involved with as a church to have fellowship together. And fellowship is such a crucial need for us right now. And I'm banking on and building toward a future, hey, where we're not going to have all of the separation that we have had. And we need to push that direction, I think. So uh, take some time and look at those questionnaires and uh, get another piece of paper, fill it out with it, attach it together, and give those back to us in the next week. That would be great. And this is just to kind of share the process of dreaming about what's next together. Um, Mike is going to come up after our invitation song, and he's going to share a little bit more. But on the back side of that questionnaire, I want to talk just a minute about the spirit or motivation behind anything that we're doing. I think that we're going to have some amazing ideas from the congregation. Uh, we're trying to bring our ideas together. But really, more than that, I want the fruit of the Holy Spirit that lies behind all of our good ideas and our thinking. I want the right kind of heart that no matter what our what's next is, the way that we do that shows that we have love, shows that we're having a good time and we're honoring God. So whatever it is that we do next, we need to do it in the right spirit. Does that make sense? So read, take a minute and read through that. And that's just my, I don't know, my dream and hope and prophetic word for what this church is going to become. 
And uh, I quote Jane Austen in there, so you know I'm secure in my masculinity as well. So there you go. So uh, thank you for being with us today. Rob, you want to come up? We're going to uh, sing an invitation song, and then if you need to respond in some way to anything that we've said or to put on the Lord in baptism, you have an opportunity to do that while we stand and sing together.